In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is it. The fourth Sunday of Advent. It goes so fast, doesn't it? Lent seems to, I don't know. Easter, but Advent, as quick as you blink, we have four candles lit and days away from the white candle. We talked about the light of Christ and how we're supposed to put him on as our armor. We talked about hope, that the soldier and the church uh, that is militant here on earth has to have hope of victory. We talked about joy and about that sustaining joy that we can have at all times and places when we're in the Lord and with him. And now this morning we're going to talk about grace and the necessity of us to receive the grace of God to do the work that he's given us to do. This morning we are in Matthew's Gospel and we're in that place where uh, you would expect us to be in preparation leading up to the birth of our Lord. And Matthew's Gospel, like Luke's Gospel, gives us some good background. They put us in time and place and they tell that, that nativity story that's so familiar to us. And they both include genealogies. They're different genealogies because they're trying to do different things. Not that there's different characters in the genealogy, but they're presented in different ways uh, for different emphasis. So uh, Matthew's genealogy, just before what we read this morning, is starting with Abraham, and it's going to David, and it's really emphasizing uh, that uh, Jesus is uh, in the line of Abraham, but that he's in the line of David. And of course, you've seen how uh, in the scripture readings we've read how uh, Jesus coming to fulfill the promises made to the kingdom of David are so important takes us from David to the Babylonian exile and then right up to Joseph, uh, who is the adoptive father of Jesus. And, and it's so important that we understand that as his adoptive father, Jesus has all of those uh, rights and privileges of Joseph, that this is a real uh, bond and a real relationship uh, that they have, a very important one. The other thing that's interesting about the genealogies in Matthew is the women that are mentioned. We don't always get the women mentioned in genealogies. We don't always get them mentioned in the stories. Uh, but in Matthew's genealogy, he makes special mention of four women. He talks about Tamar. He talks about Ruth. He talks about Rahab and Bathsheba. What a group of ladies. <laughs> Tamar, who had to fool Judah into giving her sons. Ruth, who was a Moabite, a foreigner. Rahab, who was living a life of infamy, if you will. Also a Gentile, one of those that the nation of Israel was sworn to wipe out. And Bathsheba, again a foreigner, who's taken by David in sin, after murder. And these four women despite the the mess if you will of their stories the lord not only saves but he makes them pillars in his line of david and brings about salvation to israel through their names so we want to remember those names when we quickly switch to mary and we read that here's another lady who's gotten herself into a little bit of a bind right She's with child, and Joseph is wondering, what am I going to do about this? 
What am I going to do about this bride that I'm supposed to take who's with child? And we read this beautiful thing about Joseph. We read that he's a righteous man and that he doesn't want to make a public example of her. He doesn't want to shame her. He wants to do what's right. And in order to do that, he takes time. We read that he's considering these things. That's part of what happens when we're righteous before the Lord. We take our time and wait upon the Lord to figure out, what am I supposed to do? We don't jump in in haste to any decision. And Joseph taking that time that we're supposed to take with the Lord, he leaves the door open for the Holy Spirit to come and by an angel to give him the first of three dreams that he's going to have. And this first dream, of course, is to say, guess what? This is all a plan and you're part of it and you've got some work to do in bringing about this plan of God that he is bringing salvation to the world through the pregnancy of this young girl. God is putting on humanity. He's putting on flesh. He's dwelling among you. Which is about the strangest thing that anybody could ever say. That the God of the universe would become a baby and dwell in the womb of a, of a young girl? So many of us, when we look at the sin of the world, when we look at the disaster that's befallen us, and we look at all this sin, uh, our mind goes to punishment. We want to talk about consequences. The Lord's response is, I'm going to meet you right where you're at. I'm going to become one of you. And I'm not going to do it in the womb of a queen in a castle, but of a young girl who was at risk of death. And to a man who is willing to leave the door open for the Lord to receive that vision, that dream. And so we know that God is promising to be with us and to dwell with us, and that's the way he's going to save us, by being with us. That's a radical idea. It's a radical idea for Ahaz. Ahaz didn't want to hear it. Isaiah is speaking to King Ahaz, and King Ahaz really doesn't want to hear anything from the Lord. And talk about being in a mess. Ahaz is in a mess. You'll remember that this is the time that Isaiah is prophesying when uh, the northern kingdom of Israel is just about to fall. They've gone into league with the Syrians. So you'll remember that there's a united kingdom under David, and then after Solomon, there's a civil war due to the foolishness of his son Rehoboam, and they divide the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, where Jerusalem is. And they're called Ephraim, because that's the main tribe, right? And Jeroboam is of the tribe of Ephraim that leads them away. So it's the Ephraimites who are leading the nation of Israel. And so we we hear them referred to here as Ephraim. And what they've done is they've gone into league with a pagan power, the Syrians, in order to fight their cousins in Judah. And Nahaz is concerned about this as well as he should be. Because this great power in Syria is about to take over the nation of Israel. And they get called the Samaritans. They lose their identity. They lose who they are in the Lord. They lose their freedom because they've joined themselves to a pagan king. And Ahaz is frantic about this. And the Lord says, I'm going to tell you how it is that I'm going to save you from this. And Ahaz says, no thanks. 
Which is what we do. Anytime we jump into any kind of a decision, we do anything without the Lord. I'm talking about brushing our teeth here. Anything we do without the Lord will not go well. And Ahaz has refused it. And we refuse it any time we make any consideration without first waiting upon the Lord in prayer. And so he refuses and the Lord says, you know what? I'm going to tell you anyways. And Isaiah gives this beautiful message of how it is that he's going to save his people through a child. He's going to save his people through a child who will be called Emmanuel. And he will refuse the evil and choose the good. What a great way of describing Jesus. Refusing evil and choosing good. And that's what we're supposed to be doing every day. That's the righteousness that the God would bring to us, right? You would have expected maybe something else. He'll bring a great army. He'll have lots of money. He'll be really smart, right? He's going to be good looking. He's going to have a great horse. It's going to be great battles, right? We're going to trample our enemies, the Lord's promising a baby who knows right from wrong. Because clearly none of the rest of us do. We need God to show us. And that's called grace. The definition of grace that I like is the good things. Because we could talk about grace as being power. We could talk about it being lots of things. Grace is the good things that God wants to give us that we don't deserve. We can't earn. So grace is good things that God's going to give us. Mercy is not getting the things we do deserve. Right? So grace is getting the good things we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting the things that we do deserve. Now here this morning we're talking about grace. We're talking about the power that God gives us in order to do what he asks us to do. So we're not given grace to make ourselves feel good or to put ourselves up on a pedestal or just to wait for the second coming, to wait as a, on a pedestal, right? The Lord doesn't give us grace and then set us up on the shelf and say, okay, wait there until I come back, right? We're supposed to be using that grace. We're supposed to be using that grace. And St. Paul says just very clearly, very simply, what it is that we've been given grace for. Because first we've been given faith. Right? Faith is, very simply, it's to be able to perceive the will of God and then to do it. So to have faith, we have to be able to perceive what it is that God wants us to do, right? Joseph isn't exemplary in this story because he believes in God. Demons believe in God. That gets us nowhere. He hears what God's plan is. Ahaz heard what God's plan was. Didn't get him anywhere either. But he perceives the will of God, and then by grace, through God's strength, he's obedient. He's obedient. This is what St. Paul says. He's given us grace to bring about the obedience of faith. So it's not enough that we know who the Lord is. It's not even just enough that we know what he wants us to do or what his plans are. But he would give us grace, he would give us power, he would give us strength, he would give us patience, he would give us time, he would give us courage, he would give us everything that we need 
to do what he's given us to do. And that's grace. And I can't think of a better example of that than Joseph. He waited. He waited and the Lord gave him a lot more than he could have ever asked for or imagined. He thought he was dealing with a minor marital problem. God says, oh no, this isn't about you and your wife. This is about the salvation of the world. Oh, (laughs) my mistake. See, we put God and our experience with him into this tiny little thing. Lord, um, um, I want to just get, fix this little thing at work, right? I want to fix this little thing with my house, this little thing with my kids. And God says, I'm saving the world here. Do you want to help me with that? All that other stuff works out. We'll suffer, and we'll get sick, and these bodies will die. But we're in a much bigger game. And Joseph doesn't just get one vision, he gets three. The Holy Spirit is as active today as ever before and provides dreams and visions to his people who wait. Who don't jump in, who wait upon the Lord. He told him who Mary's son was to be. He told him to go into Egypt, and he told him when to come back. And Joseph was faithful and waited upon the Lord to receive that faith and the grace to be obedient to God's plan and his will. And if we wait upon the Lord, he is faithful, and he too will give us faith, a vision of his plan of salvation, and he will give us everything that we need to fulfill it. Everything that we need. Thanks be to God.